0: Listener production. I acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and pay my respects to the traditional owners, past and present. I also acknowledge the First Nations across the continent have never ceded sovereignty. Oh, no.
1: Welcome back. This is another episode of Black Matters, a podcast that's about First Nation matters and most importantly, why they matter. My name is MC from the Hit Radio Network. Joining me as always, First Nations advocate, mate of over 20 years, Teela Reid. Welcome back to the podcast. I've missed you as I always do.
0: Yama, so good to be here and it's such an important topic we're about to discuss today.
1: Yeah, look, if this is the first time you're joining us on Black Matters, you're wondering who we are, why we spell it B-L-A-K, you can go back and check out our podcast trailer and all the episodes, by the way, who we are. Uh, and why black matters now we are heading headfirst into this referendum which will happen later this year and an update, big news this week, with the release of the pamphlets from the official yes or no campaigns. Yes, there will be physically physical pamphlets that we've delivered into mailboxes all around Australia. And joining us today to help break this all down, a man clearly far more intelligent than I am, which is why we've got him on the podcast, uh, Professor George Williams, Deputy Vice-Chancellor. I'm even nervous just getting your title right because you're clearly <laughs> a far more educated man. Now, now I want to get this right. I've been practising this all morning. Deputy Vice-Chancellor and sent a professor. Did I get that part right? That's good done well. There we go. At the University of (laughs) NSW, (laughs) Professor Williams, also a well-known media communicator uh, on legal issues, was awarded the Officer of the Order of Australia in part for his work around constitutional law. So we just wanted to start by saying thank you so much for helping break this down and explain where we're at in this journey towards this referendum.
0: And he's also past Dean of Law at the Law School that I graduated from law from. So we have an extremely expert ally on this issue and so knowledgeable. So I'm excited to learn more as well.
1: Pleasure. So (laughs) Professor Williams, uh, we've established that you've done a lot. You pretty much know everything there is to know. So I'm going to start with the most basic question, the most simple question to get things started. Why are we
2: getting pamphlets? We're getting a pamphlet and it's a printed pamphlet that goes in the mail to every household. And the reason we're getting it is because That was the best way people could come up with communicating with the public back in 1912. That's when the pamphlets are introduced. And the bottom line is they have not updated the method of communicating with people for now more than 110 years. So the pamphlets predate not just television, internet, social media, but even radio, and it says a lot about the inability of our politicians to keep this process up to date, that this old-fashioned idea of a pamphlet is still the primary way uh, that we communicate
1: with people about whether they should vote yes or no in the referendum. Which is kind of concerning because when you get home and you check the mail, generally there's all those pamphlets that sit in the mailbox and it might be the local electrician or it might be the pamphlet from the local MP. No one really reads through those, right? Is, is, is there a danger that using such an outdated form of communication will mean the messages? don't get through to everyone? I don't think it's a danger, I think it's a certainty. I think that yeah. many people
2: will not read this. And uh, you're right, a lot of people just won't even engage with a written pamphlet, they wouldn't expect it. It's not how people get their information these days. And it's not just the fact that it's a pamphlet, but it is so old school in the way it's presented. Each case has 2000 words. Um, cannot use visuals, cannot use images. So, you know, a straight 2,000 words is a pretty tough way of getting information, and it's a real slog for people. If we look what happened back in the 1999 referendum, that's the last one we had on the Republic. I talked to a lot of people at that point. I even took a poll in my constitutional law class back at that point, about 160 people. Not one person said they read the pamphlet from end to end because 4,000 words covering those cases was too boring, too inaccessible, And I reckon it's even going to be harder today.
0: Exactly what you said, George, about there's no uh, visual images on these. And we should outline as well, they specify the yes case and the no case. Is is that how we can summarise this in relation to the voice to Parliament?
2: It is. So, yeah, the pamphlet is really the arguments either side. But what it doesn't give you is the middle stuff, Um, actually more about the change, the independent bit, the neutral bit. So... What people are bombarded with is these really sometimes shrill arguments on both sides. If you go back across the the decades, really hit you hard with yes or no. But people are left confused a lot of the time because they don't have the understanding to actually make sense of those arguments. That's not in the pamphlet. And it's often why they're really effective and people turn off, ineffective and people turn off. They're bombarded, yes or no, but can't make sense of the arguments.
0: And you mentioned um, the last referendum, the Republic referendum, um, and the messaging around that. And I've literally just like cast my eyes over the top of the no case in this referendum. It's using almost identical messaging. If you don't know, vote no. Do you remember...
2: I do. I do. In fact, I helped uh, the no case for the preamble in 99 was written by Peter Andron. And he was the only person that wrote it. And he gave me a call and said, can you give me a hand? And I gave him a list of arguments typically used. And if you go back across these 44 referendums um, where they've had pamphlets, um, yeah, it's common arguments. It's vote no to something from Canberra. Very common. So here we have the Canberra voice. That's a key one. Vote no to something about politicians, we're seeing that emerging. And the one that comes up most often is don't know, vote no. Essentially, it's a Mm. licence that if you're ignorant and you don't know, really don't bother finding out, just vote no. And that's often the first argument that has been put over past decades. So you, you can change a bit about the voice, but in the end, the lines of attack are pretty similar to past referendums.
1: I'm just thinking of all the paper that's also being wasted aside from the fact that no one's going to look at these pamphlets because it's just a lot of words and not much else. But in in an age where we're thinking about climate change and trying to be as less wasteful as possible, just think of all of the rubbish and the cost this practice will cost to get these pamphlets in letterboxes. It just seems unbelievably outdated and unnecessary. Well, and it is. It's problematic on so many levels. It's, I mean, it's just the cost, $10.6 million.
2: That's a lot of money that could have been put to a better communications campaign or just something more worthwhile. Um... Another issue is, you know, the environmental aspect. I mean, that's a lot of paper. We really need to print this all out and put so much of it in garbage bins. And the other bit is just the fact that uh, it's just not effective anyway. And there's not even a requirement to be truthful in the pamphlet. So very often Mm. the cases have misinformation, misstatements, wild exaggeration, hyperbole. And I'd say to your listeners, you know, be cautious with these pamphlets because there's no requirement they're accurate. And so when you add those things up, you know, the pamphlet, it should have gone a long time ago and been replaced with something better.
1: So so these documents don't even need to be fact-checked. So whoever it is that gets given the task of, of writing the pamphlets for yes and no can just sort of put whatever they want on paper, and there's no one there to go, oh, that's not quite right, we might need to amend that. It's just whatever that person decides is what we're reading. Yeah,
2: that's right. There, there is zero fact-checking. It's drafted by the politicians in Parliament who voted yes and no. Um, They send their arguments, 2,000 words for each case, to the Electoral Commission. The Electoral Commission has very clearly said, we're a post box. We do not check a single thing. They've even warned the politicians, get your grammar right, because if you misspell a word or get something (laughs) wrong, it will appear in the pamphlet. So even at that level, they won't change a thing. And then they get it printed and sent to 12.5 million households. So it's a direct line to the community at taxpayers' expense. And unless it's, like, defamatory or a national security issue or something along those lines, there is just no limit to what you can say. And what they will do, they will marshal whatever argument they can that maximises their chance of influencing, but it doesn't need to be correct.
1: Given the way that this voice has been weaponized by both sides, I think it's fair to say, in the lead-up to this uh, referendum, the fact that it's not being fact-checked, that seems really dangerous.
2: Well, and I think really problematic, given us taxpayers' money here. You think at the very least... You know, someone would fact-check basic things, maybe even check a bit of grammar and spelling as well. Hopefully they've got that right. You know, we are at a point where we know the power of misinformation. Um, We know how often people are prepared to, you know, tell lies in aid of political causes, and it's quite possible we will get that change for the next federal election. So we've got a parliamentary committee that's looking at truth in political advertising laws for the next federal election, and I think that's right. We need it. But it's really problematic that we may bring it in for the election, but we've missed it for this referendum.
0: You made a really great point before, George, about these are kind of yes and no cases, but it's the middle ground that we need to be focusing on in terms of the actual facts around um, the voice referendum itself. What we need is more of an education campaign. This, is, this issue is too important to us as Australians, both Indigenous and non-Indigenous, to get this right. What would serve our nation better would be a more robust education campaign around civics and... And the purpose of a referendum, because we haven't been here in a very long time. What do you say about the kind of broader issue of trying to help Australians understand the purpose of a referendum and how understanding that we can also better understand the referendum vote when we get to the ballot box?
2: Yeah, I think, I think it's spot on, you. I, I think what we have instead is polarised arguments fighting about something that Australians may not m- know much about. And really what we need to do is start with actually what is being proposed and have understanding Mm. of that and the context. It's only 92 words um, that might be put in the constitution. And I think, you know, people understanding, it's about a body that can make representations to arms of government, there's no veto and other things. And then you can have a yes and no cases. But when you don't get that base level of understanding, you can pretty much say what you want and people don't know Mm. better. And that's usually what actually happens is, In these campaigns, you end up having a fight over something that is not even the thing being asked because both sides will try and define the question around what they think will get them a yes or no vote and actually what the constitutional change can be secondary. Um, And we even saw that in 1967 with that famous referendum where over 90% of Australians voted yes. And to this day, people still think it was about citizenship rights or still think it's about giving the vote to our First Nations. But it was about neither of those things. But that was what the campaign was about. And the Yes case on that occasion framed it as a question of humanity, citizenship and the like. And that was effective, even though it had nothing to do with the constitutional change itself.
0: I think it's also important to explain that in 1967 and leading up to that referendum, which again we know was a minimum 10-year kind of long grassroots campaign to get to that point, there was no no case in that referendum, right?
2: That's right. So that was a unique national consensus that Mm -hmm. all the political parties, and that was put by the coalition, the Harold Holt government, um, with Labor in support. Not a single member of parliament voted against. So they got the yes and no cases, but actually there was no no case. they just got a yes case in the mail on that occasion. And uh, all the media running in favour, I've looked carefully across it. Where there was misinformation, it was almost always in supporting a yes vote arguing it would do more than it actually would and we got that 90% vote but it's interesting because this referendum is not markedly different in terms of the modest nature of the change it's not a big change it's a it's an advisory body able to make representations but what's different this time is the context particularly the political context from the opposition and also the capacity to weaponize misinformation far more
1: effectively through social media You know, they're similar in many ways, but not in the way they're playing out. I know that there are plenty of Australians who are really excited for this pamphlet to end up in their mailbox so we can start reading. And I don't want want to spoil that joy for those people, but I think think we're about to. Um, I know you touched on the no pamphlet briefly. Can you summarise what both pamphlets are actually saying? Yeah, so if you look at the yes case, they start with the idea of
2: recognition because they've worked out and polling shows that the idea of recognising our first peoples is the strongest animating idea for people. They talk about also, it's about listening, it's about better results, and in a sense arguing that if we do have the voice, we should have some confidence that will improve things on the ground, make a difference to people's lives. So they're the top three arguments that they're raising in the yes case. When we go to the no case, it's a very different style of arguments, as you can imagine. On their end, They're saying this is risky, unknown, divisive, and permanent. Sounds a bit scary to me, (laughs) you know, when you put those things, risky, unknown, divisive, and permanent. And they're essentially saying that if you vote yes, you're introducing a flaw into the Constitution. No one knows how this is going to operate. And because of that, they can throw up a lot of horror hypotheticals that because we're unsure, all of these things could happen. They don't go as far as in this pamphlet as some of the other stuff, but it'll play into that. So there's been people saying it could be the end of Australia Day, Anzac Day. It's been suggested that the federal budget process will be ended as we know it. That It'll be a constitutional coup. There's all sorts of things that people are raising. And the no case doesn't go to the extreme end of some of those arguments, but it will provide a bridge to them. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's a strong no case in, I think, scaring people.
0: So how do we cut through this noise then? It's simply around 90 words to go into this change and it makes it very clear that the parliamentary sovereignty and the power with respect to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Voice will always remain within the parliament because they are our elected representatives. So how do we cut through the noise of kind of even both sides of this debate to make sure that we are bringing people along on this middle ground, on this really important moment of being able to step through and to reimagine and build our nation where Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Voices I heard.
2: Yeah, and, and I think I agree, Teela. The fundamentals are good in terms of the change. And I participated in that. I was on the constitutional expert group for the government that looked across the wording in detail, picked it apart, suggested changes to make sure it's safe and sound for the community. And it does just what is intended, and that is provide a voice, something that can be listened to so better laws and policies can be made. But that's it. There's no veto. There's no directive involved. So So that's good. But as you say, I mean, I think the word noise is the key. A lot of it is noise. And one critical step was that because the opposition has taken such a negative stance, it's very easy for them to generate a lot of noise. I mean, that's the nature Mm. of our media system. That's what happens. And the media will tend to cover both sides for good reason. So cutting through that is going to take some really clever and effective communication that I think probably will be less about the head and more about the heart that makes people feel positive about this, that they're doing something for our Indigenous communities that's a good thing, doing something for the nation as well. They can be safe but feel positive because unless people go into the ballot box thinking safe, positive, with the sense of goodwill, they'll probably go the other way. And the no case is all about heart. There's not much head in there because a lot of it doesn't make sense. But a lot of it is about the heart, you know, sphere, Scare. So that's really for me the nub of this campaign. Can can the S yes case get enough hope and positivity in there that that resonates on polling day? And that's a formidable campaigning challenge.
0: Well, I've seen you know in the past week we've seen the results of the closing the gap um, targets come out, and in fact they're not getting better for First Nations peoples on this continent. And that the argument would be when we listen to the many different First Nations communities and their voices and what they need on the ground, essentially, that the voice could go in so far as simply putting forward to the government represent and executive representations on how to improve those results for the. Community community. That would be one argument, right, for uh, voting yes at the ballot box.
2: I, I think so. And I think, um, I think Linda Burney's recent National Press Club speech was spot on in talking about closing the gap, um, the lived experience of our First Peoples, education, health. That, that's, where, that's where this needs to make a difference. And I think yeah. a problem for the yes case has been is that that's coming to the fore a bit more now. But if you look at past months, so much has it been about executive power and things like that. Yeah, yeah And who knows what exec- – I can't even – I mean, I'm a constitutional lawyer. It's hard to define what executive power is. So, <laughs> you know, what poor hope that the community got that we have this – it's about the voice, but really it's about executive power and judicial review, administrative action. It's about high court cases. That seems to be – that was the dominant narrative about the voice for some months. And mm-hmm. it's no surprise to me that as a result, people get turned off from that and think, this sounds pretty hard, sounds difficult, doesn't sound much about improving people's lives. Sounds like it's about court action. So again, the, but the yes case, I think, fell into that trap a bit. Instead of framing the debate and ignoring some of that and just going, this is how to help people, this is what it's about, they, they took the narrative from the no case, tried to rebut it, and that's what we've talked about.
1: Can they reframe it? We'll see. If this conversation has taught me anything, it's probably something that, that we've spoken about a lot on this podcast, and this just reinforces that point. These pamphlets that will be very official-looking, they'll arrive in your mailbox, whether you read them or not. But do for your for the own first research.
0: time in history as well, they're gone online now. Hey, we are very, advanced. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Hey, so, we, we've stepped out of the dark ages. <laughs> it's just so important. We don't, we're don't. we not here to tell people which way to vote. That's for every single Australian to make that decision uh, themselves. But this pamphlet proves you've just got to do your own research to cut through that noise so that when you're at the ballot box, you're making an informed decision. Uh, We we thank you for coming on the podcast and clearing up what what should be, again, something so simple, but is overcomplicated from all sides. Professor George Williams, we appreciate you coming on Black Matters and trying to help us clear this mess up a little bit. My pleasure. Good to chat. And wrapping up as we do every episode uh, here at Black Matters, language also matters to us here in First Nations language. We think it's an important thing that, that more people should be learning about. So what's what's our word this week?
0: The word of the week this week is a Wiradjuri word called Nurembang, and Nurembang means country Nurembang. or home or district. Nurumbang. So I am from Wiradjuri, Nurembang. You also. Also from yes. Wajery
1: Nurumbang. It works for the both of us. I like that. <laughs> Don't forget, there are a bunch more episodes of Black Matters as well that you can listen to. Why we acknowledge country, the history of treaty and the voice, why we should be considering maybe reckoning instead of reconciliation. Uh, there's a massive back catalogue there for you to check out. And thanks again for joining us for another week of Black Matters.
0: Yalu. Wow.